So these days we are talking to a lot of environmentalists. Yeah, but sure, of course we are. Of course we are. Like, did you <laughs> exactly. not hear there was a climate crisis? Yes, there is a climate crisis. Yeah. And if you want to talk about food production and ignore the reality of all the changes happening and needed in how we make our food, you're wasting your time, right? Yeah. So today we have got a shining star who has joined us to chat. Tara Shine herself. She has got a CV that would be worthy of framing. She's an environmental scientist. She's a policy advisor, a science communicator. She spent 20 years as an international climate change negotiator and an advisor to governments and world leaders on environmental policy. She was also the special advisor to the Mary Robinson Foundation, Climate Justice and the Elders before setting up her company, which is called Change by Degrees with co-founder Madeline Murray. And together they partner with businesses and organizations to empower and educate people to deliver sustainable solutions, which is what we are talking about today. And of course, she is also the author of How to Save Your Planet One Object at a Time. This is a book written to help everyone on how to change their daily habits and live more environmentally friendly at home and at work. Yeah. So this is the Neighbourhood Podcast. Here is activist, author and environmental scientist Tara Shine. Ta-da! Who you are? I am. Sure. Thank you. So I am... <laughs> It's like a it's like a dating website. It's like a date. So I'm Tara. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I guess uh, most important things first. I'm from Kilkenny. I live in Kinsale. I have I'm I'm married to Jeremy. I have two kids, Lauren and Nathan. These are the really important things about me. And I also <laughs> am responsible for the life of Bertie and Minister Schneider. Um, but in my professional life, uh, I, yeah, I'm an, I'm an environmental scientist and I've worked on sustainability, environmental policy, climate change, oh, for far too long now, for over 25 years. Um, and I used to do that predominantly at the international level, um, working with the UN, the World Bank, the OECD, working as a climate change negotiator, advising Mary Robinson and her foundation. But then since 2018, uh, I have turned my sights more so to Ireland, but also to the business community and trying to help them get more engaged in sustainability and taking action on climate and nature, as that is supremely urgent to have them as leaders in that space. Uh, and I've been doing that through Change by mm. which is the company that I co-founded with Madeleine Murray and that the, the two of us are co-CEOs of. Amazing. What a string of accolades that is, Tara. Well done. How how did you actually get interested in climate change in the first place? So I would say actually when I started to get interested in this stuff, climate change wasn't even a thing. So I got interested in the environment and nature and animal rights and things like that. Save the whales uh, back in the eighties when I was in when I was in school. So uh, where I went to school in Kilkenny, I started up like the first green team, green club that we had. That was like it was like the most radical thing you could do back then was like recycle nobody even <laughs> really knew what it was there were no official recycling facilities hardly at all in ireland um so really from then and then i guess i had a lucky discovery when i was trying to figure out in my leaving cert year what would i study next or do next and i found this course called environmental science in northern ireland and i was like that is what i want to do uh, much to the dismay of everybody in my family because it meant leaving Kilkenny and going to 
the tippity top of Northern Ireland in the middle of the troubles to go to university. So that was a very unpopular move um, and nobody could understand it. But one of the best things I ever did, because it was an amazing course and amazing few years. And I haven't been out of environmental science in one way or another uh, ever since. Amazing. Wow. Um, I think Kilkenny people probably feel the same way that Cork people. So imagine actually leaving Cork. <laughs> yeah. Well, in Kilkenny, you always had to leave Kilkenny to go to college because we didn't have a university. So you know, everybody went to Dublin or Cork or Galway or Limerick or whatever. But uh, that far north of Dublin was definitely seen as strange. And like when you turned down a perfectly good place in Trinity College to go to University of Ulster, people thought I was mad. But it was a great education. I had the greatest time living on the north coast of uh, of Northern Ireland, right by the sea. Um, yeah. Really fantastic uh, university experience. And I went back again to the University of Ulster years later to write up my PhD. So it's a place yeah. that's been really good to me. Yeah, it seemed like an obvious thing. So to build your whole working life around kind of climate action and like the natural world and, and everything, I guess, like really. Um, what about the work you did? Yeah, as... yeah and it's, it's lucky. Oh, sorry, I talked to you. No, it's you're lucky right. when you get to it's lucky when you get to work on what you love, you know, like so this mm. is this is what really I get really excited about and have done. I've always been like fascinated about like what is our planet and how does it work and how mm. do humans have such a crazy outsized influence on everything? And how do we find mm. our place in that world whereby we're working alongside all the other plants and animals and not for good rather than having a destructive effect? So I've never mm. seen humans as being separate to the environment or separate mm. to nature. It's like if we could just find our right place within it, we'd be doing so much better. Mm. Yeah, that's a big thing. And it's like, how do you get people to even understand that? That's the that must be a huge challenge, I'd imagine, in your work, isn't it? Yeah, and I mean, I think we, I think as a community of climate and environmental scientists, we got it wrong for years and years. I did this uh, this thing for Bright Club, um, which is uh, something that Jessamine Fairfield up in NUIG dared me to do, basically, right? And it's comedy by scientists. So that okay. sound awful or brilliant. But anyway, I decided to do six minutes of stand-up comedy in a pub in the middle of Cork on what I do. So my whole premise for the, the thing was like, I'm a complete failure. Imagine that okay. I worked on something for over 20 years and with every year that I worked on it, the problem got worse, exponentially <laughs> worse, right? And so what's at the cause of that? Like the cause of it is that we, we, we've communicated really badly about this stuff. Yeah. We've talked about it in terms of statistics and atmospheric gases and parts per million. We talk about it, it's, it's really scientific and technical. And then we add doom and gloom and despair on top of all that and then we wonder why people aren't interested so um yeah. it's so important to get better at communicating we have so many facts and so much certainty around the impact that human beings are having on the planet we know with great scary clarity what's going to happen in the future if we don't change our ways so we're, we've no shortage of facts but facts will never change people's minds um people change yeah. their minds when they're they feel empathy for something when they, mm. you know, connect to the human being with the issue. And we just haven't done that well enough on, on issues like the climate and nature crisis up until now. And so people haven't cared. Something else has always been more important. The health crisis, the education crisis, something else has always trumped mm. it. 
Um, yeah. But we haven't seen, we haven't shown people how all those things are interconnected, how one causes the other and vice versa. So mm. for me, that's a big part of what we need to be doing better is just communicating a whole lot. Better. Communicating. Yeah. Communicating. One, one, one thing, Tara, I noticed from all the work that you do is you really keep quite a positive slant on, on an, a topic that does tend to be quite difficult to avoid the negative. And I'm interested to know when you said about your kind of you became interested in the environment and, the, and interested in nature i do know that quite a lot of activists that we've spoken to have a very defining moment where they saw destruction and it like resonated in them the the, the problem i'm interested to know did you have a moment where this path because you don't start no one starts as mm. an activist you know it comes after mm. years of experience so i'm just wondering is there one particular moment that you could credit with maybe putting you on the path that you're on i think it was a whole series of moments and and things that you encounter like when I was young and I was a teenager it was around the terrible kind of slaughter of whales that was going on at the time that really connected with me so it wasn't something we were seeing on our doorsteps in Ireland but I was certainly hearing it through all the media that I was connected to god and this is years back like there wasn't even social media um but then all the experiences I had as I followed my kind of my interest in life further compounded that concern so you know <clears throat> whether that was uh, I, I volunteered in, in Namibia when I was in university for a summer. And there I got to see firsthand kind of what these environmental issues look like in a very different continent on the continent of Africa to mine. And I was like, mm. oh my goodness, there's so much to do here to, to help. So uh, for me, it's always been around, like there's some, there's some kind of unfairness and injustice in the way that human beings are unfair and unequal amongst ourselves like we do unfair mm -hmm. things to people all the time but then we're also unfair to the planet and the animals and plants that live in it and like why is that and is there not a way that we could build more fairness so if you go from there there is one defining moment in my life which is when i was 11 and my dad told me the world wasn't a fair place i remember it crystal clear and i was gutted yeah and and what happened then because it kind of it kind of it, it kind of ruined it well it did two things it ruined that childhood innocence that of course the word there's fairness like you, you grow up yeah. wanting a fair share of the apple tart a fair share of the toys a fair share and you just assume that's a right that you have as a child and then you mm. find out that the world is unfair and unjust and like power isn't fairly distributed and bad things happen to people all the time and it's just sort of like crap now i have to find ways to make things better in the context of a completely unfair world um, mm. I guess it just, I guess it was an awakening around how, how hard it is to make change happen. Yeah. Very and how, how have you managed to maintain such a positive, productive, like it's super productive to remain positive on this topic because it's the only way that people will be able to actually mm. make action on it. Because mm. um, you, you joked there and you said you worked for 20 years and it, the situation has got exponentially worse. Is it many victories along the way that keep you positive? like everything you have good days and bad days i mean my children say that the most awful thing about their mother is my unrelenting positivity they just say i get the exact same like, thing in my yeah. i get it from my wife as well yeah i find it just so <laughs> difficult um so i don't know any other way to be number one and uh, it's too big the issues i deal with are too big to be overwhelmed by them and I think the other advantage I have is because I work on these things all the time, I always feel like I'm doing something positive in the mm. right direction. I'm never sitting powerlessly. 
you know, maybe that's why I'm, I'm kind of always fidgety and doing something, but I can't sit by and let it happen. I have yeah. to be doing something about it. And I, that's a, that is a message I give people all the time. You will be overwhelmed by this stuff if, if you're not doing something or connecting with somebody or having a conversation with someone about it. Hmm. But as soon as you start to do something, anything, a little thing, have a conversation, read a book, you feel better. And yeah, um, yeah you're empowered. Uh, and that's hmm. a better way to be. And I think as well, probably the people that you're surrounding yourself with, like, you know, that action of kind of being around like minded people who are all on the same path of trying to do the same, achieve the same goals. That's surely inspirational as well, like, isn't it? Yeah. So you do need to have people who can like a network of people that can keep you going and understand where you are. But you can't just surround yourself by people who are like you and agree with you. Mm. Um, you know, you have to be really open to hearing people with very opposite views or very different fears or aspirations to what yours are. Um, because otherwise your communication will only connect with a few people. It'll only connect with the people who already think like you. Then how are we ever yeah. going to bring more people into the conversation? So yeah. I want to say this is not a conversation for people who are green or interested in climate or sustainability. This mm -hmm. is a conversation and something which has a benefit for everybody. So whether mm -hmm. your thing is that you care about better quality education or cleaner air because your kids asthmatic or you care about justice for workers or whatever it is like this is this is an agenda that you have a, a place in like come in and talk don't be alienated mm. by it mm. speaking about communications mm -hmm. sorry jolene i don't mean to cut across you um i i'd love to talk about your Perfect. your your book your most recent book um mm -hmm. Can you can you tell us a little bit because okay so change by degrees is is moving towards working with companies and I can imagine that what that is is you 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 and Madeline's I, you know this is a way where every ounce of energy we put in can magnify on a much larger scale we can get way more done here by multiplying out through these powerful entities but I'd be interested before we talk about change by degrees and the work that you're doing there to talk a little bit more about speaking directly with the everyday person you know, because I do think we like I'm, I mean, I'm not a climate scientist. I'm, I am interested, but my God, I'm not doing as much as I could. People are scratching their heads, wondering what they what it is that they can kind of do. And I know you've done a lot of work in that talking about in the home and, and, and stuff like this. How important is personal action that people can take? Or should we just be going to our bosses and saying, you need to improve the way we recycle in this company or we, you know, do we need to think bigger or, or is there still a lot of work we can be, we can be doing ourselves personally? So that's a really cool question. Yeah. So we need to change the system without a doubt. Right. And the way that I worked to change the system for a long time was right from the top down. So I worked on things like the Paris agreements and climate change. I worked on like the international convention on biodiversity. So, I worked on the framework for the sustainable development goals, so very much working at the top level of international law and policy, which is really, really powerful, but takes a long time to trickle down into everybody's lives. And after doing that for a long time, and, and I'd also been like advisors to different governments and ministers. And what I discovered was that, um, you know, in order to get leaders of countries and companies even to do really brave things, they have to feel that they have the support of people, voters and employees, right? They won't do the hard things otherwise. And so, although I know that we need to change the system and I completely respect the value of the international level, I also knew that we had to grow demand from the bottom up for the people in leadership positions to actually start to make the changes that they needed to make. 
And so that led me when around 2018, when I was saying, well, what am I going to do next? I said, okay, so I'm going to take a break from the international level, but I'm going to go to do two different things. One, I'm going to write a book for people on what everyday people can do to feel like they're doing something rather than nothing in the face of all of this. And then the second thing I want to do is see how we can use businesses as a force for good. And so the book, How to, Cha how to Save Your Planet One Object at a Time, is a book that you can dip in and out of that goes through every room in your house and then from the toy box to the garden shed and says, here's an everyday thing. And, uh, you know, it might be a pen, it might be a printer, it might be a lawnmower. And here's the environmental story of this thing. So this is the impact it has to get one of these into your possession. And here are some things you could do to reduce the environmental footprint uh, of your lifestyle by making some different choices around these objects. And mm -hmm. the whole purpose of the book is yeah, to get people doing things differently and using their consumer power differently. But most importantly, it's to, to get people talking about what they do and why they do it. So it's mm -hmm. supposed to create conversation and momentum as much as it's about making one change, two change or three changes. But yeah, it's a real dip in and out book. And um, yeah, people seem to find it useful, which is great. Um, so it's three years exactly since it was launched now it got launched in the middle of the at the start of the pandemic in april 2020 for earth day so we're three years on now um but i'm still proud of it because it was a load of work and it's available now in english spanish japanese and dutch which also makes me smile oh, that's great Ooh. and can we talk through some of the suggestions that are in the book because i guess a lot of our listeners and um, they're interested in food and, and what they're doing at home and it'd be great to get some of your thoughts yeah, your top do, ones. maybe in the kitchen even start there yeah so if we think about the kitchen i don't know here's some random ones so uh okay. cling film right okay yeah. this is in your own kitchen not if you're a restaurant i know it's different but in your own kitchen if you just don't have cling film in the drawer you will not use it right mm. so you can put things in lunch boxes you can reuse ice cream containers takeaway containers you can put a bowl on a plate or a plate on a bowl you can spend money on bees wraps if you want to. You don't even have to spend money on anything. But it's amazing when you just take things that create waste and are pretty much unnecessary out of your kitchen, how you can just manage without them. So that's the great cling film challenge. Uh, yeah. Just don't buy it. If you don't have it in your drawer, you won't use it. Um, so that'd be one an easy way mm -hmm. to get some waste out of your, your house. As you know, food waste is a massive, massive, mm -hmm. massive cause of climate change. So if our food goes into our general bins and it ends up in landfill, it decomposes really slowly um, in the absence of oxygen and creates a very potent greenhouse gas called methane, the same one that cows burp. Yeah, so it's a very, very important greenhouse gas. So it's critical is to not get food waste into your general bin. And so mm -hmm. roll back from that number one, try not waste any food. Um, so, you know, really planning what you buy, learning to love your leftovers, work, learn how to work your freezer, pass things on to your neighbor or your mother or your sister or somebody if you're not going to use them, but don't let food go to waste. And the key things that go to waste are bananas, lettuce and bread. So, mm. you know, if they're not the things that you waste most, take note. What am I throwing away every week? 700 euros worth of food each week, each month, sorry, we put into a... Uh, uh, into straight into the bin. No, so each Irish household put 700 euros worth of food directly 
into the bin basically into the bin and that's not composting they're just basically putting it into putting it in the bin. Waste bin so composting is better so if nothing yeah. else put your food waste into your composter or your brown bin then at least it can be turned into compost but even better don't waste food uh, yeah. so i mean I, i'm sure you've talked about that with many guests but everything we yeah. can do to not waste food uh, is a good thing you know we kind of have and we haven't like i do think that it's it's something that i really think there's a basic knowledge of cooking that people don't understand i just say one thing actually mm. because i don't i've never said this on this podcast and I, it's surprising how many people don't know this if something is about to go off if you heat it as in if it's a liquid boil it or if it's mm. something that needs to go in the oven and you just heat it again it'll last for another five or six days mm. like i don't think people realize that you have like a broth or you have a soup or something and you're like oh it's starting to smell like it's turning a little bit if you literally just reheat it up to above, you know, 70 degrees, you bring it back to life. Mm. And like, I never, ever, ever waste a, dro a drop of food in the kitchen. I really, really don't. And I think it's just because I learned seven things that you could learn in one day, you know? Yeah. I think a lot of people are so scared of gone off yeah, food. People like are it's gonna scared make of uh, best before dates and stuff. And I guess I, I was lucky. I learned, yeah. uh, I learned from my mom. I learned from my granny about food growing up, but not everybody has that privilege or now, you know, the mums that used to be at home making food and hang, being around with kids, we're, we're at work. So we're, we, we possibly don't have the same amount of time. Smashing to... it at work now. Yeah, well, yeah. smashing it or not. And I don't Tara. know smash it anything some days. <laughs> <laughs> One of the ones that really struck me when I, uh, when I was looking through that kitchen section was the bit about the dishwasher. And that dishwasher mm. is actually used less water than filling up your sink. I was like, what? Is that yeah. well yeah because if you think of the amount of dishes you do in the sink like if you were to wash the whole dish full dishwasher with the sink that'd be a couple of sinkfuls of water right um you'd never get it all done in one sinkful so yeah they're actually designed now and year after year they make them even more and more efficient to use less water to be able to work at lower temperatures so if you fill your dishwasher full and turn it on i do another thing which is i turn mine on at night this is debatable some people don't like turning their appliances on at night i turn it on at night because i have night rate electricity um and i'm saving money and and water by doing that so set it to the eco setting and put it on on low rate electricity yeah and all those things are really practical as well in terms of kind of cutting energy and kind of just being a little bit more efficient in the home really isn't it yeah like even things like you know the kettle right so 80 percent yeah. of the carbon footprint of your boil of, of your cup of tea is from boiling the kettle so if you fill the kettle to the top and boil a whole kettle of water just to make one cup of tea you are literally wasting your money so if you're making one cup or one pot of tea just heat that much water the kettle is one of the most energy intensive appliances in the house so filling mm. it full each time is, is just to waste your money mm. So basically fill the cup with cold water, pour it into the it kettle, and then you've exactly the right amount of water, exactly. right? Exactly. Yeah. And you, you will save money. That now, look. Yeah. Good tips. <laughs> um, what about kind of changing habits? How, how can we, you know, why, why is this there? Why is there a reluctance, first of all, for people to change to these good habits? And how can we then like instigate those things? And what ripple effect will that have then maybe on our I suppose circle of influence around us from our family, friends, neighbors, that kind of thing. So to me, this is all about changing habits. And um, uh, it's about finding habits that make things better. So none of us are going to do things that are inconvenient. Mm. So we have to find things that are more inconvenient. So you might think it's less convenient to have a keep cup than get the takeaway cup, right? In mm. when you go and get a coffee. But if you just get in the habit of having a takeaway, uh, a keep cup in, 
your car in your bag um then suddenly it's not inconvenient and you might get the 20 cent off each time you get your cup of coffee so that might be a nice little incentive and you might actually prefer the taste of your coffee out of your keep cup because you know maybe it's a better quality than the the disposable cup so i think it's all it's all around trying to find habits that make things better for you and then when you change a habit and you find that there's a benefit it's about telling someone else that this is better so for example i hate those plastic yellow and green sponges that you typically see in most mm. people's kitchens they also i read the most disgusting facts writing the book about how many bacteria they hold more than is in your toilet um but oh, uh, no, don't tell me this. they break I apart like and then they're all bits of plastic <laughs> and they're awful kind of thing so you know one thing that i love so one new habit is to get you know i love any any of those like um natural sponges some of them are made out of coconut some yeah. of them are made out of a loofah which is essentially just some kind of a squash that's dried out um, and i find that they work better they don't scratch your pans and you can stick them in the dishwasher every so often and they get lovely and clean again um, and then when they're all finished and done, what you stick them in the compost bin because they're completely natural and they break down. So I can wax lyrical about those sponges because they've actually improved my life. I feel like they're better than the yellow and green spoil plastic sponge, mm. you know. So um, and it might be something else. Like in the book, I write a lot about like the sharing economy versus us having to own everything. So I had an argument with my husband this week because we need to do work in the garden. And he was like, we'll buy a wheelbarrow. And I was like, why the hell would we buy a wheelbarrow? Someone in our neighborhood has a wheelbarrow. There's no mm. point in everybody in the neighborhood owning a wheelbarrow that we use once a year each. Um, the same applies to electric drills. Electric drills are used on average for four hours a year. So if no. every cow has no. an electric drill, all of the resources that go into electric drill, into the battery to power the electric drill, into the energy to charge the battery for the electric drill. It's totally bonkers. So you're better to have things that you share with neighbors, friends, and family, rather than this notion that everybody has to own everything. Um, and now there's more and more sites springing up around the place where you can just find a loan of or rent the use of a lawnmower, an electric drill for an afternoon, a morning, whatever you need it for. You don't have to buy it outright yourself each time. Mm. It's a good opportunity to talk to your neighbors too. Exactly. That's always <laughs> a nice thing yeah exactly um what about young people today um like children what do you think that they understand about climate uh change and what can they teach us as well um in terms of it so they know mo more than most adults because they've grown up learning about this um and they're mm. also more able to get excited and visionary about what the future will be so you know, young people get, you know, I have great conversations with my son about the fact that, you know, he may never learn to drive, he may never own a car, there'll be driverless shared cars. Wow, that's cool and exciting. He's not afraid yeah. of that. Like, an, you know, an adult will be, oh, well, what would that mean? And will I be able to get to the shops when I want to go? And what kind of inconvenience is it going to cause me? So they, they see the opportunities more than the obstacles. Um, but the reason, what, another reason that Madeline and I started Up Change by Degrees was because at that point in time, uh, Madeline was completely frustrated by the fact that kids were being educated about uh, recycling and climate change and biodiversity, but nobody was teaching the adults. And she's like, what is this? Are we literally going to sit back and wait for these kids to grow up and let another like 10, 15, 20 years go by before anything is going to change? Or are we going to do something to educate the adults right now? Um, and so that was really at the, that was the first conversation she and I ever had was how could we educate adults now so they could catch up with the children? 
because the adults mm. make the decisions, they spend the money, uh, they have the votes, the kids don't have them. So one thing I'm very, very, very adamant about is that we will not leave this as a problem for our children to solve, that by the time they're adults, we will have, you know, made a dent in changing the direction of travel on this and improving things so that they have, uh, you know, they can they can pick up on that and take the next step, but they're not starting from zero. Brilliant. This seems like a perfect moment to talk about change by degrees. Can you maybe explain exactly what a, a day of work looks like for you guys? Mm. God, no two days are the same. Absolutely. Okay. So we were, uh, change by degrees is just five years old now. So uh, that feels good to still be here after uh, a COVID pandemic and all the other things mm. life has thrown at us over that period of time. Um, so we work yeah, in the sustainability consulting space um, and have done over the last five years. Um, and but we're we're really focused on people um, in transforming businesses. So there's a big focus at the moment in the sustainability world on data collecting and reporting and where, what's your where's your ESG data, your environmental social governance data on regulation that's coming down the line. It's going to mean that all companies are going to need sustainability strategies and reports and they're going to have to track their metrics and KPIs and report them as they would their accounts and all this kind of thing. Um, mm. So that, that's become a very, very busy space in the last two years. So the part that we're most passionate about is where are the people in all of this? Because reports and strategies don't transform business. People transform businesses. Um, mm -hmm. And if we don't have everybody in a business understanding what sustainability is, understanding what the company's commitments are, holding the company to account from the inside out, then this transformation is not going to happen. So we're very much focused on leadership, on um, employee education and engagement, um, on, uh, we have a new product, which is an e-learning product on sustainability that all employees in an organization can do so that it's not just the CEO and the chief sustainability officer going around talking about a net zero commitment by 2040 that nobody else understands, but rather that everybody in the organization has the opportunity to learn about sustainability and what it means in all its guises, you know, from energy to biodiversity and diversity and inclusion to health and well-being. Um, and so that's, uh, that's our focus now. And I mean, yeah, we're constantly changing and morphing according to, to what's needed in the world. Um, when we started out, sustainability consulting was, there was hardly anybody doing it. Now it's like a great big growth industry. So um, it's really fun to think about, for us anyway, how, how we can make sure that the people are ready to lead the transformation. I can imagine it's a great job too, because a lot of the changes you'd be making are actually probably helping the balance sheet of the company as well. So you're cutting down on waste, you're reducing utility bills, but you're also motivating the staff. Like a, a yeah. medium to large sale company is kind of, let's just say a company of 200 people. It's kind of like a little mini city and you have all different personalities and different kind of hierarchies and all the different day-to-day -day stuff that's going on someone like you coming in and saying, here's a new strategy, here's a new plan, these are changes, these are targets, this is how we're going to do it, here's an e-learning situation for everyone to learn. I'm sure you, it must be an interesting kind of sociology thing to watch and see people pop to the surface within the companies who kind of take it on a little bit more, you know, and make that kind of change. And the owners of the companies, I'm sure, are delighted because a lot of these owners are stuck. They'd love to be more sustainable. They'd love to waste less money yeah. as well but it's very, very hard to make change. So do yeah. you find that in a company that you have these little people popping up and helping push it 
through. That's how I imagine it would be anyway. Yeah. So an awful lot of this is about behavior change. So a company can set the most ambitious targets in the world in terms of, say, climate change or reducing energy. But if they don't change the behavior and get the buy-in of their employees, they'll never achieve them. So people and changing people's behavior is is key to achieving any kind of climate target, waste target, water reduction target. and what yeah and then there's a lot of um creativity that can come and be harnessed from your employees they have most of them have piles of ideas around this stuff and also Mm. investing in your employees and showing you have a commitment to sustainability will increase uh, employee retention and will help you to attract new talent so if you're trying to differentiate yourself in a market right now where we're at full employment being able to say clearly what's the purpose of your company and how is your company contributing to um, have a net positive impact on society and the planet. That's way more attractive, um, not just to younger uh, employees, but to all employees. Everybody's had a bit of a rethink since COVID. I'm like, mm. God, if I'm working this hard, I wanted to be for something. I wanted to mean mm. something. So I'd like to work from a company that has a genuine desire to do to create a benefit in society. Um, so yeah, it's not just about reducing costs. It will differentiate you in the market in terms of selling whatever you sell. But it's also going to make it um, much easier to attract really good people and keep them with you. Nice. So like we spoke about personal change, we spoke about, I suppose, change within companies as well in organizations. What about like policy change here in Ireland and on an EU level? Like, is there anything that's really positive that's happening at the moment uh, and maybe what you would like to see happen in the future? Oh, yeah. So in Ireland, we still have a ton of work to do, but it is mostly in the opportunity space. So we we should be really getting ready to be the renewable energy center of 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 yeah. europe you know um our potential for wind energy but also for solar particularly in the summer is really significant but our offshore wind energy potential mm. is something mega so if we think we sell meat to the world and dairy to the world right now what we'll be selling in the future should be clean renewable energy right across an interconnected european yeah. grid that's a really big opportunity for jobs, for revenue, for employment, uh, for Ireland, and that and that and that's clean and sustainable. So I'd love to see us and be a whole lot bigger and braver as a as a government and as a country in our in our approach to all of that. There's a great start made, but we could be we just haven't quite decided that we want to be like European leaders on it or even global leaders on it. And I think why not? Like I look at small countries like Costa Rica same size as us, same population as us, you know, way poorer than us. And they've been able to to aspire to great visions and achieve mm. them. For them, it was more around, you know, conservation and biodiversity. I don't see why we won't do it for other things. And then the other great policy area I think we have to think about, well, a number of them are, another one is around land. Mm. So what is the value of our land and how will we, how will we value land in the future? So I say land because I don't just want to say, you know, farm land or land for biodiversity or land for mm-hmm. urban growth. But what are we going to our land, the, the soil beneath us is our is, is, is valuable. The landscape we live in is really important to us, but it also derives a value according to how we use it. And I think we've used it narrowly to 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 kind of maximize productivity in terms of um, 
just narrowly food production in the last one. I think we need to think completely differently about land and how land brings value to us. And then I think we have a really big body of work to do around how we live and how we get around. So around housing and transport. Um, again, really beneficial because it means that we should all eventually get to live in better quality houses that are more cozy and comfortable to be in. And it should become much easier to travel, to get around, to commute, to walk, to cycle, um, to get a bus. And that's it. That's a that's a quality of life improver. You know, it will get the air pollution out of our out of our urban centers. Um, it will get us out of this kind of rage and frustration of, of congestion and, and traffic jams. So to me, that's all good. It's, this is literally about are there ways to make things better? Yes. And do they have as a co-benefit the fact that we'll reduce pollution? Yes. OK, win win. So so let's get mm. on with it. But I think we have loads of policies and we have the legislation and everything there. Now we just need a whole lot more urgency and a bit more leadership, a lot more leadership. And we could really be an amazing little country. Mm. Amazing. Um, Tara, who or what is inspiring you at the moment? Oh, who or what is inspiring me at the moment? Uh, it's spring, so mostly inspired just by nature. I just, I'm a <laughs> summer person. I get really inspired by you know, everything coming back to life, stretching the evenings. The season. If you want to come over here and help me with the weeding, you're more than welcome. No, <laughs> no, a lot of things coming grow, to life here. Feed the, feed it the slugs, I don't know. Um, yeah, so no, I know, yeah, everything goes a bit wild, but you're living somewhere too warm, Jack. Come back here, the ghost is slower yet. I know, but um, I know. Uh, yeah, no, I think that inspires me at the moment and just kind of that, having that promise of another beautiful year around the corner that's a that's a good thing that's a good one um talking about inspiring people and we we kind of didn't even mention it earlier but like you worked with mary robinson for quite a long time as an advocate for justice like what was it like working with her and what kind of an influence did she have on your on your career then as well yeah so i was a special advisor to the mary robinson foundation climate justice for eight years so um had a great journey with Mary and the whole team of us who worked in in the foundation. Uh, well, a small team, but uh, yeah, we packed mm. we packed a punch. We like to think. Um, working with Mary was fantastic. It is fantastic to work with someone who is so principled um, and so uh, so driven. I guess you know mm. she's just never ever going to give up. Uh, but she's also great fun. Like she's a lovely, lovely human being, and I think way more fun than people give her credit for. And certainly, oh my goodness, like we we worked internationally. So Jeepers, we we were in far too many hotel rooms and airports and you know international conferences and things together, where really the days were very long and the nights were very long, and we were constantly on our feet. And we all mm -hmm. managed to keep uh, good humor and good fun through through all of that, which was good. And we had. You know, at the at the time we started working on climate justice, it was a taboo subject within the world we worked in in the international climate negotiations. And now climate justice is in the Paris Agreement. Um, it's regularly discussed by, you know, government leaders. It's on the agenda for progressive business. Um, so it's it's a huge it's been a huge change. And in that time, we advocated a lot for women's leadership on climate change, which there's been huge mm. progress on for having more voice for indigenous and grassroots women leaders, and also for connecting, uh, you know, kind of um, conventions and processes around human rights with those on climate change. And again, there there's been massive progress and we now even have the right to a clean and healthy environment as a new human right that's been recognized. 
So, you know, there's been, I'm able to look back on that actually and really see the areas of where we, where we had an influence. And I've, I'm hugely proud of us all and what we achieved there. And why do you think it's important to have female voices in particular then at that negotiation table? So I think we need female voices on everything. So Mary has a great line that this is a, you know, climate change is a man-made problem with a feminist solution. Um, <laughs> so, you know, if men rule the world up until now, well, they put it in a bit of a mess. Sorry, lads, could have done better. Um, but I think overall, you know, firstly, well, women are disproportionately affected by the impacts of climate change. So when there are climate events, um, women, particularly women, women everywhere, but particularly in, in developing countries are because they ha have less enjoyment of their rights. They're more affected by floods, by droughts, by food shortages, by sea level rise, all of these things. And the second part is uh, women are have great ideas and women get things done and women look at problems differently to men, for example. But all kinds of people from all kinds of different ethnic and socioeconomic and racial backgrounds look at problems and bring different perspectives. So it's really silly to try and solve the biggest problems in the world through one singular lens of, say, you know, a white, a white European man or, or a white university educated man. We would be missing so many perspectives. We will never solve the problem. So we have to solve the biggest problems in the world with as much diversity of thinking, whether that's neurodiversity, but diversity of perspective according to where people come from and how they see the world. So yeah, we need more women at the table, but we need more of everybody at the table. Um, and that's where we'll get much more creative, I think, and start to also have the ability to reach everybody and not just some people um, in terms of making the changes we need to make. Do you think it's possible? I do, yeah. So either human beings are really stupid and we're going to self-destruct ourselves or we're a bit more sophisticated and we'll probably cop on a little late in the day, but we will cop on. Here's to cop on. <laughs> There's your A and B. But you know what I, what I say, and I don't think people say it as much, is people are terrified we're going to destroy the planet. We're not. We're going to damage the planet so badly that we will destroy ourselves and then the planet will recover. The reality is, is that yeah, no, no, the planet will longer be fine, than we actually, will. yeah. The planet will recover. Yeah, but we you will, know, we it, will you know, we will, we will go extinct ourselves. We'll make ourselves exactly. extinct, yeah. um, which so, is a really stupid so, thing to do. Um, yeah, not to try and make it selfish, but like, you know, it's, yeah. it's. Yeah, but it, it yeah, can, it's... it will recover. And, and, and there are plenty of other species that would be very glad to take over the space and resources that we take up at the moment. So, you know, <laughs> it's in our self-interest to find a better way to live on this planet. Like we, we will be the ones that, that gain, not just all the other species out there as well. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Um, I think that conversation gives us a lot of hope and I love the actions that you're uh, after putting in there as well. Um, that book is great. If anybody hasn't picked it up, um, it's well worth getting a copy. So, um, yeah, thank you so much, Tara. Is there anything else you'd like to kind of touch on before we wrap this up? No, just thanks so much for having me on. I'm a fan of Neighbour Food. Um, it's another way of kind of sharing things, of community, bringing people together, um, supporting what's local. So, uh, you know, all key things that are at the heart of sustainability so thanks for doing what you're doing thank you so much sarah you're so positive i love it i actually feel like super energized these chats sometimes too. just make you feel so depressed so. <laughs> 
Well, I got to say, our guests are amazing and I love being able to chat, chat to you guys like for 40 minutes and really get under the hood of what we're talking about as well. It's absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dara. No worries, guys. Thank you very much. Okay. Bye. Thanks again to Tara for joining us today on the Neighbor Food Podcast. If you want to find out some more about Tara, it's www.tarashine.com. Changebydegrees.com is the work that she's doing by engaging businesses. And also check out Tara's book, How to Save Your Planet One Object at a Time. See you in two weeks' time. Thank you very much for listening.